Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics. Examining the Word of God, focusing on the book of Acts Church, finding how the early church served the Lord, and in doing so, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. Because, folks, we don't need a man-made church today. We need a Holy Spirit-empowered, supernatural book of Acts church. We take a deeper look into how they serve the Lord. We don't water it down. We don't filter it down. If that's your desire, to find and restore the priesthood of the believer and regain the world-shaking influence that the early church had, you're in the right place. We believe the church age is not over. And what happened in the upper room is as much for today as it was on the day of Pentecost. Join us on our journey as we get back to basics. If you have any questions, visit firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button, or you can write us directly at the porch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support what we do, and we hope that you will, and there are various ways to do so. If you go to the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at the bottom, there'll be various ways to do so. If you need more information, just reach out. We appreciate your support and encouragement for everyone who does. And welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Thank you for being a part of the porch. Thank you for being a part of our community. If you'd like to pray for others, let us know and we'll get you on that prayer list. I have uh, been dealing with some stuff over the last couple of weeks, but I have to get back to the weekly email Uh, The monthly newsletter, I've been better with that, but um, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you'll be kept up to date. Father, we love you. We come to you in the name above all names, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords. Abba, we need you. We thank you for our families, our homes, our furry kids, our possessions, everything we have, we say thank you. We enter your courts with thanksgiving and praise. We thank you for sending Yeshua, your only begotten Son, to die for us, to shed his blood, to redeem us from the curse of the law of sin and death, and to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we could know you that we could have access to the throne. Lord, we thank you for paying our debts. We had a bill we were never going to be able to pay. But you did it for us. You wiped it clean. You covered it with your blood. The cross, the empty tomb, the upper room, all these historical events are a part of our life. They confirm who you are to us and to the world. We thank you for sending back the Holy Spirit to walk with us, to teach us, to guide us, to explain things to us. And Lord, even now, as the darkness envelops the earth and a deep darkness the people, we need your Holy Spirit. We need inspiration. We need revelation. We need the fire once again. 
that fell on Mount Carmel and fell in the upper room to fill us to overflowing so that we can go and do what you've called us to do. Right now, we take our thoughts captive. We clear our mind of all the distractions, all the cares of this world, all the things that would interfere with the word. We cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself above the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Father. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever you want to do. Protect this technology. Let the word go forth. Let Yeshua be glorified. If you agree with me, just say amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we've been talking about deception, about being deceived. And guess what? We're still talking about it. Why? Well, I had that question this morning as I began to work on this. Actually, yesterday, I worked on the majority of this yesterday. And I wanted to know why the Lord wanted to stick on this topic. Now, listen to me. Someone has, someone who listens, has or is in danger of wandering down the wrong road. I get it. A lot of ear ticklers out there, a lot of sensational teachings, a lot of people trying to get back to their roots. Well, I'll tell you one of the biggest deceptions I've seen, and it would be interesting that I would say this since I embrace the fact that Yeshua is Jewish and I'm more of a Messianic believer than I am anything else. The Hebrew Roots Movement have led more people down the wrong road over the last decade or so than anything I've seen. Why? Because it leads people back into the law. And that comes from fear. People who are in fear of not being able to live a life of grace, not being able to live in righteousness, want to live by the rules, want to be clamped down, need that external help, and they wander away from the truth Please, please listen. Go with me to Matthew 24. Again, starting verse 1. Yeshua left the temple area and was going on his way when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the magnificent and massive buildings of the temple. And he said to them, Do you see all these things? I assure you and most solemnly say to you, Not one stone here will be left on another, which will not be torn down. Now, this temple they're looking at, the refurbishing of it began by Herod the Great in 20 B.C., was completed in 64 A.D. by Herod Agrippa II. 
but by 70 AD, it was destroyed in the great siege of Jerusalem by the Romans. Only six years after it was completed, it was destroyed. So while Yeshua sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when this destruction of the temple will take place and what will be the sign of your coming in the end, the completion, the consummation of the age. But he doesn't answer the question. He could have easily told them the date, the time, and who was going to do it. But that's not what he did. He warned them. He said, be careful that no one misleads you, deceiving you and leading you into error. For many will come in my name, misusing it and appropriating the strength of the name which belongs to me, saying, I am the Messiah, the Anointed, and they will mislead many. You will continually hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not the end of the age. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and earthquakes and pestilences in various places, But all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs, of the sorrows, of the intolerable anguish in a time of unprecedented trouble. Then they will hand you over to endure tribulation, and you will be put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will be offended and repelled by their association with me and will fall away from the one whom they should trust and will betray one another, handing over believers to their prosecutors, and will hate one another. Many false prophets will appear and mislead many. Because of lawlessness is increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures and bears up under suffering to the end will be saved. And this good news of the kingdom, the gospel, will be preached throughout all the world, the whole world, as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end of the age will come. Be mindful of the possibility of being deceived, of being misled. If you're misled, you're led in the wrong direction. Or you've been convinced to take a mistaken action or belief, often by deliberate deceit, deliberate deception. Many warnings in the Bible about being deceived. It's a sign of the end times for the church. Like I said last week, so what if you're fooled? It's no big deal, right? No, it's a very big deal. Remember, one degree off on the compass starts out as nothing, but becomes worse the longer you stay off course. That ties into the warning I gave at the beginning. You may just be slightly off right now, but the longer you stay off course, the longer you wander away from a pure word and staying on track under the power of the Holy Spirit, by time you figure out you're off course, it may be too late. We've been warned. Ignore the warning and set yourself on a path of deception, rebellion, and judgment. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Start with verse 1. But understand this. 
that in the last days will come, will set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate greedy desire for wealth, proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good. They will be treacherous betrayers, rash and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements, more than and rather than lovers of God. For although they hold a form of piety, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Avoid all such people. Turn away from them. For among them are those who worm their way into homes and captivate silly and weak-natured, spiritually dwarfed women. Remember, this is a message to the church in Ephesus, and I'll explain this a little better. Loaded down with burdens of their sins and easily swayed and led away by various evil desires and seductive impulses. That's how Jezebel infiltrates the church. Verse 7, these weak women will listen to anybody who will teach them. They are forever inquiring and getting information, but are never able to arrive at a recognition and knowledge of the truth. Now, just as Janus and Jambres were hostile to and resisted Moses, so these men also are reprobate, hostile, and opposed to the truth. They are depraved and distorted minds, reprobate, counterfeit, rejected as far as the faith is concerned. But they will not get very far, for their rash folly will become obvious to everybody, as was that of those magicians mentioned. That's the amplified explanation of Second Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9, but it's about the last days. That's what he's warning us about. Well, when did that begin? Well, it began on the day of Pentecost. I've been saying that for years. I constantly use the scripture, and I still see people who think that the day of Pentecost just recently began. No, on the day of Pentecost, the end times, the last days, went into overdrive. The enemy knew it. Why don't we? Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in all in those days, and they shall prophesy. The coming and the infilling of the Holy Spirit began the last days, and the final check of the clock, when the Holy Spirit removes the church from the earth, that's when the end comes. Perilous times, difficult times, distressing times. Over there now, we've been there for a while, and they get progressively worse. Times that are hard to bear. They're painful. They're grievous. And they will come. Not might come or could come. They will come. It's set, it's set in. It's going to happen. It's like cement drying. It's a slow, deliberate process. It's a hard to, time that's hard to deal with and a time that's hard to bear. Brothers and sisters, we must endure until the Lord returns for his bride. I wish I could tell you it was optional. Some people out there think, oh, if we do X, Y, Z, and we do this that way, we can change all this. No, you can't. He spoke it, red letters prophecy. It will come. It is coming. It is happening. Paul talks to Timothy about an outward form of godliness, but denying its power. Looking good from the outside, but no inner working of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Big-name preachers and big-name churches and big-name denominations fit that description. Religion. Religious activity with no effect because the Holy Spirit, his gifts, his fruit are denied and ignored. A form of godliness is an outward appearance of reverence for God. But that's all that it is. Denying its power describes religious activity that's not connected to a living relationship. Religious activity lacking the living relationship with the Lord. As time progresses, people begin to participate in religious activities that are completely empty and taking them further away from the God they're supposed to serve. Has nothing to do with the true relationship with your Abba Father or an individual faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And that kind of religion provokes God's anger. How do I know that? Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean Cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." 
Paul tells me to turn away from them. Turn away. Avoid such people. We're not even to link up with them in any common cause, in anything that may seem right. Have nothing to do with them. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now let's talk about that strange section of Scripture, verses 6 and 7. It says, among those who worm their way into homes and captivate silly and weak-natured and spiritually dwarfed women, loaded down with the burden of their sins and easily swayed and led away by various evil desires and seductive impulses, these weak women will listen to anybody who will teach them. They're forever inquiring and getting information, but never able to arrive at a recognition and knowledge of the truth. Well, the Nelson Study Bible says these empty religious individuals use deception to gain a hearing. Making captives is a military term of taking prisoners in war. The imagery of spiritual combat is clear in these verses. And these gullible women in the church in Ephesus are targets of the attacks by false teachers. Now, why would that happen? For the same reason it happens today. I've seen it since I got saved, and almost 34 years later, I still see it. Actually, this will be 35 years later. It's about ignorance. It's about seeking answers but never coming to the truth I got to be careful here. I say this because I know a lot of the listeners of the porch are women. But in the church today, the majority of the people that do the work are the women. Why? Well, it's a combination of reasons. A, you just can't get men to rise up to leadership. And B, um, for whatever reason, they've been led away or driven away. And I've seen this so much. Holy Spirit, just grab my tongue. Can't say that. Let's just leave it as it is. In the church at Ephesus of that day, and also I believe of today, this deception occurs, and it's compared to two Egyptian magicians, Jans and Jambres. They opposed Moses. Two men, and their folly will become plain to everyone. Well, how does that happen? Well, through confrontation and exposing them to the real power of a living God by being a vessel willing to be used by him. This deception can be broken. If the people are not completely lost and reprobate, when it's broken, they become on fire. They realize they've been lied to. They realize that the books and the teachings and the seminars and the big conferences have sounded good, have looked good, but have not led them to where they wanted to be, closer to the Lord. Remember Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Their worthless deeds of evil and darkness we should expose them by right living, by righteous living, by the pure quality of a true word. 
teachers of this corrupt mind resist the truth. And Jans and Jamborees were hostile too, and they resisted Moses on behalf of Pharaoh. They opposed the truth. They were depraved. They distorted corrupt satanic minds, reprobate and counterfeit, and rejected. But their folly, their stupidity, their madness was exposed by the power of God through Moses and Aaron. That term reprobate and counterfeit means without redemption, completely false, and should thoroughly be rejected. That's the character of empty religion and false teachers. And they ultimately get exposed. And those who have eyes to see and ears to hear see and hear the truth. We need to understand who Jans and Jambres were. Go with me to Exodus chapter 7. And this is during the period of time and Moses trying to convince Pharaoh to let the Lord's people go. Starting in verse 8, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, before his, his servants, and it became a serpent, most likely a cobra. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did like manner with their enchantment, for every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up all their rods, all the snakes, all the rods of Pharaoh's magicians were eaten, swallowed up the copies to show the supremacy over and the condemnation of these demonic Egyptian medical magical practices. Now, magical incantations were a part of ancient Egypt. It was a culture steeped in magic, the ritual manipulation of objects, verbal formulas, uh, changing things by means of supposed superhuman power. Well, magic appears in the Bible in three contexts. It, the illicit ritual practices of those who do not worship the God of Israel, the illicit ritual practices by unfaithful Hebrews and Christians. Oh, yes, we have Christians who practice magic. I call it charismatic witchcraft. And legitimate practices that we as believers do that create supernatural events that the world labels as magic. But don't make any mistakes the kind of magic we're talking about here is condemned in the Bible. Deuteronomy 18, starting verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, we know it's the land of Canaan, 
You shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer back up, passing through the fire with sacrificing babies to the god Moloch by putting them into the flames of a burning cauldron. Or anyone who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord your God drives them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. This confrontation between the power of a living God and the false demonic powers of those in service to the kingdom of darkness has been going on for a very long time. Now the cobra Urius, the upright form of the Egyptian cobra, Egyptian cobra, was a symbol of Pharaoh. It was on the crowns and various works of art. In ancient evil well, ancient evil, it is ancient evil. Ancient Egypt, the symbol represented the cobra deity, the goddess Wajet in the form of a cobra ready to pounce on its prey. The Urius represents the power given to the pharaohs by the god Ra. And I found this part interesting, and I needed to add it. Wajed is one of the forms of the right eye of Ra, who, according to the Egyptians, was the creator god of humanity. Isn't it interesting that all of these celebrities and people create imagery where they cover the left eye, but leave the right eye uncovered? The Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary said this prophetic vision is God's restoration of the world orders. that we will see when the power over the snake, we can live in a world without fear. It's a sign of the messianic kingdom in Isaiah 11. So much about the Bible is so awesome to me. Well, all of it is. But how it all ties together, no matter where you are, no matter what section of the Bible I go to, I can tie it to very clearly and cleanly to another section. So we're talking about Second Timothy and the end times. We're talking about the Exodus and Pharaoh and Egypt. Now we go to a prophecy of Isaiah. There shall come a, a forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots, as Isaiah 11. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with the righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips 
he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a, a young child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw, just like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Until that day comes, sin continues to dominate humanity. Until that day comes, we have false teachers and the power of the demonic turning speech into poisonous lies and destroying people's lives. Romans 3, starting verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. An asp is a baby cobra, by the way, incredibly poisonous, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, the same as it was then, it is now. But let's go back to the confrontation with the magicians. So, Pharaoh wants them to perform a miracle, so Aaron is told by Moses, throw down his staff. You know, it's the long staff that the shepherds carry. And he does, and it becomes a serpent. So Pharaoh brings in his wise men, skilled in magic and omens, sorcerers skilled in witchcraft, and they throw down their staffs, who also become serpents. And as I said, Aaron's staff swallows them up alive. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. He saw this amazing manifestation of the power of the living God, but his heart was too far gone, hardened toward the Lord, which means Pharaoh had no chance of redemption. That's what reprobate means. So in becoming cobras and overcoming the other cobras, very clearly the symbolism is overcoming Pharaoh and his authority in front of the people. Now the Holman Bible Dictionary says, 
while those names don't specifically appear in the Old Testament, rabbinic tradition identifies Janus and Jamborees as the Egyptian musicians of Exodus 7. Eusebius of Caesarea described, described them as sacred scribes of Egypt. But in the end, God's power was too great for them. The Jewish Encyclopedia calls them the two legendary wizards of Pharaoh who withstood Moses. By imitating, keyword with their enchantments, the works of Moses and Aaron, and they were defeated. Rabbinical tradition says these are the chief, two chief magician, magicians. I don't know why I want to say musicians. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe, I don't know, I don't want to get into a whole music rant. But these were the two who foretold the birth of Moses as the destroyer of the land of Egypt, thereby causing the cruel edicts of Pharaoh. According to the Midrash, which is a specific compilation of those rabbinical writings composed between 400 and 1200, which filled in the gaps in biblical text, these two were among the mixed multitude that went up with Israel from Egypt. So when Israel left, they left with them. The Dead Sea Scrolls, Damascus document from the Qumran sect said these two brothers were raised by Belial, the evil one. Now, there's no actual proof of that. This is just rabbinic tradition. But it is believed, according to those traditions, they became proselytes and left Egypt with Moses and Aaron and the others, maybe because of what they saw in Pharaoh's court. They figured, oh, there's been a shift in power. We're going with them. But it's also believed they're the ones who instigated Aaron to make the golden calf in Exodus 32. And wouldn't it be just like Hasatan to plant some people in the crowd as people were leaving? You don't think that when you sit in some big building somewhere that you call a church, there aren't witches in that congregation. There aren't Satanists in that congregation. There aren't people on assignment there. Oh, there are. They used to do that at Christian Heritage all the time. And then once I got there and had eyes to see, I could spot them in the crowd. Well, sometimes Shelley would give me a look, and I'd look around, and I'd find them, and I'd make eye contact and let them know that I knew who they were, and if they didn't get up immediately, I got up and started heading towards them, and they usually got up and left. Now, it's also believed that they were put to death for inspiring the making of the golden calf when the 3,000 who were a part of that rebellion died. Scary stuff. We live in scary times. Oh, maybe you don't want to believe that. If you don't want to believe the supernatural, if you don't, you're in the wrong place. I've lived a supernatural life before I got saved, and I've lived an incredibly supernatural life since I got saved. 
some of which you, some of you have seen, some of you have experienced. But these false teachers, these examples of people with corrupt minds and a counterfeit faith who oppose the truth. Why? Why would they do that? To lead people astray. To take them off course. That word corrupt means spoiled or depraved. And the word counterfeit, the King James uses reprobate. It's by implication it's worthless, literally and morally. So in using, in Paul using the deceptive wickedness of these two magicians, he's giving an illustration of the widespread active rejection of the truth, the satanically empowered rejection of the truth in the last days. Folks, we're seeing it now. We're seeing an entire abomina- I mean, denominations wandering away from the faith, denying the, the words and the, the guidelines of the Bible, questioning the deity of Yeshua. Nothing has changed. We're seeing magicians infiltrate the church bring lying signs and wonders. Now, there's one aspect here we need to look at. Now, how these magicians were able to take a rod and turn it into a snake, well, there was an area on the nape of the snake's neck that if they got a hold of it and pinched it just right, it would put the snake into a trance or seizure that rendered them completely stiff and immovable, making it look like that it was a rod. And they would conceal the serpent. And through sleight of hand, they would produce it from under their clothing and throw it. And when they let it go, the snake would relax and that rod, or what appeared to be a rod, would hit the ground and become that cobra. Smoke and mirrors. That's all Satan can do. Smoke and mirrors. Oh, I I know that he can do some supernatural things. I know. I used to do it. And these two magicians were able to copy the first few miracles that Moses performed, turning the water to blood, bringing frogs, the, the plague of lice. But then they got a little harder, and they couldn't keep up with God. An interesting side note, the ten plagues of Egypt were mocking specific Egyptian gods and their power. And the number ten in biblical numerology is a significant number. It symbolizes completeness, perfection, and divine order. Ten commandments, ten plagues of Egypt, parable of ten virgins and ten talents. So what God did was through his perfect ways, and knowing what the enemy would do, he told Aaron and Moses ahead of time what to do. He had the Ten Commandments, the fullness of God's moral law, and the ten ancient plagues of Egypt represent the fullness of God's expression of the justice and judgment upon those who refuse to repent 
and adhere to his morality. Ten times God, through Moses, gave Pharaoh the chance to change his mind, to repent, and turn to the one true God. And each time, the severity of the consequences increased as the plague increased. Ten times Pharaoh, because of pride, refused to be taught by the Lord and received the judgment through the plagues pronounced upon his head from Moses the Deliverer. And Pharaoh, in his arrogance, says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Well, just like those today, and the enemy will at the end, Pharaoh found out who this God is and why he should have obeyed his voice. And he understood the power that the God of all creation had over the other Egyptian gods and goddesses who I believe were fallen angels and firstborn of the Nephilim. God just demonstrated the supremacy of who he is over the deities of Israel's polytheistic oppressors. And folks, let's get real. We're living in a time right now where people have seen enough smoke and mirrors. They've seen enough of the dog and pony show. They're looking for real miracles. They're looking for people that move in the power of a living God through the spoken word, not through rituals or icons or or anything like that. But Fowler didn't learn. Exodus twelve twelve. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Where Where is that? Where is that? Majesty, where's that worship over the false gods of the earth? Numbers 33, starting verse 2, Moses wanted to explain to people what had happened. So he wrote down all the starting points of their journeys as commanded by the Lord. And these are the journeys according to their starting points. They departed from Ramses in the first month of the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians, just like when the church rises. For all the Egyptians were burying their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them, also on their gods. Small g, the Lord had executed judgments. Even Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. They were coming out to, to the wilderness at the mountain of God. So when Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, he bowed down and kissed them, and they asked each other about their well-being, and then they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them all. Testimony, folks. Start telling people your testimony because this is what happens from this testimony. Then Jethro 
who was a pagan, rejoices from all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Hallelujah. The Lord our God reigns. Signs and wonders, confrontation, evil, being struck down by the glory and the power of God. Remember, we don't hate the people. We hate the sin. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So they weren't, they were not prepared for God's authority to swallow up their fake authority. This should teach us something. What appears to be a work of God. See, Pharaoh copied it. He imitated it. That's what the enemy does. Remember what's Second Thessalonians it says, chapter two, verse nine. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, just like that day in Egypt, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Satan and the fallen, they can counterfeit miracles, but they can't create them. The working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and all righteous deception, unrighteous deception, he's an imitator. He's a fake. He's not a creator. He's not the real thing. To be a genuine work of God, it must proclaim the truth. It must line up with his word. It must bring glory to God, and it must further the kingdom of God, and none other. It shouldn't raise people up on a pedestal. It shouldn't promote a denomination or a way of thinking or anything like that. It should promote only him. Signs and wonders confirm the word, both living and written. But you know what? Paul goes on in verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3. So I'm checking something here, seeing, how much, seeing where I are and how much time we have. Well, we'll pick this. 2 Timothy 3, starting verse 10. After all that, he all the warnings, everything he says about the deception and all the other stuff, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. He's talking to Timothy. He gives them the warning, but then he edifies him. You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. 
and out of them the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Messiah Yeshua will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith that is in Messiah Yeshua. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Remember, Moses and Aaron did not have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They were not born again. They did not have the hope that we have. They did not have the confidence that we have. They didn't have the testimonies and the, and the stories to inspire them. Which is why in Exodus 4, after in the burning bush and Moses, you know, has been told what to do, Moses, who has run from Egypt because it killed a man and apparently had a stutter, says in verse 1, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose that they say that the Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. God said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. You tend the sheep in the wilderness. You see a snake. You know it's not a good thing. But the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and he caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now remember what I said, the snake charm has picked up the snake by its neck. So, A, that they can immobilize it, but the snake, snake would not bite him. But Moses, as told by God, his trust in God, grabbed the serpent by the tail. Folks, you don't grab a snake by the tail. That's a dangerous thing to do. Long before he would actually have to do it, God was preparing Moses for this victory. He will make a way for you where there seems to be no way. He will show you. Initially, step by step, he will take you through it. He will give you the power. He'll give you the words. It took faith for Moses to grab that serpent, that cobra, by the tail. It's going to take courage and faith to follow God. The lying signs and wonders are coming. Those that work them are coming. The the power, the authority, remember that cobra, the medical the metal cobra on the, the diadem is a symbol of Pharaoh's power and, and who it came from. And folks, we're gonna f- confront people in love, in the power of the word, who have power, 
who have authority, who by a word could sentence you to death. And I'm sure most of you are saying, I'm praying I'm out of here before that happens. And I pray you are too. But we're living in perilous times. These things are going to take supernatural faith. They're going to take the ability to trust God at his word. Do you know his word? Are you in his word? Do you recognize him for who he is? I started with the warning to whoever's wandering down the wrong road. I pray that you would hear his voice in your heart, that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear the word and what I've said tonight, but I pray that you'd hear in your heart. Don't wander off. Don't wander away. Father, I come to you. We've all struggled. We've all been hurt by traditional religion, by man's church. We've been wounded by the words of others. We have this fear inside of us of failure, of not living up to your expectations because we've had parents that we didn't live up to their expectations and how they treated us because of it. Which is why our journey has to start at your cross, Lord, the symbol of the Father's love for his children. And then we must go to the empty tomb and the upper room or we won't make it. I'm praying for my brothers and sisters. I'm praying for me. It's getting tougher in this world, Lord, as we watch the signs of the times, as we watch the depravity and the demonic attack on you and who you are and upon your children, the blood being spilled, the enemy's arrogance, the boldness of the enemy growing greater every day as they prepare to roll over the top of the world, over the nations, even over your church who is not ready. Help us. Empower us. Stir us up right now. Heal us, Lord, and deliver us. We ask all these things. In Yeshua's name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord, may Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I pray right now you receive shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.